Well, Marianne and I recently became grandparents for the second time. We welcomed little Emerson along with big sister Jace. And I have to tell you something right now. Grandparenting is the greatest thing on the planet. It, 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 just, it just is. In fact, I've told a number of people now that uh, if I knew grandparenting was this great, I would have not wasted so much time parenting and gone straight to grandparenting uh, if that was possible. And one of the things that you get to do is you get to watch the development of your grandbabies, which is, which is just so cool. Physically, Emerson, she's three months old, almost three months old now. And uh, all of a sudden now she's focusing on your face when you hold her. She smiles. She watches you. You know, she kind of watches she, she goes along with you, you know. And she's growing off the charts. That's what you do when you eat and sleep. And that's what you would grow off the charts too if that's all you did. And you just love to see that. She's doing what she's supposed to be doing. And my daughter Caitlin's in-laws were visiting from Colorado this week. And when Jace, who's two and a half years old, uh, uh, found out that they were going to, you know, the, the zoo in West Orange there, Turtleback Zoo, uh, she looked at her mother and she said, leave sister at zoo. <laughs> she wanted to leave her little sister in one of the cages, I guess. And... Uh, so she's making higher thought connections now. They're evil thought connections, but they are higher thought connections now. So, but there is growth. You can see it. And she needs to grow into the reality of her world. Uh, she is no longer the center of the universe. And that's important to learn. Now, when they, were all, when they both were born, it all began. When we were born, it all began. But it hasn't ended there. It never ends there. Their birth was just the beginning of what they one day will be. And in this same way, on the day that we repented of our sins, on the day that we embraced the gospel message, on the day we decided to trust Christ to save us, believing that his sacrifice on the cross was enough, nothing else needed to be added to that. On the day that all that happened, the Bible says that we had something called the new birth. Jesus spoke about it in John chapter 3. He called it to Nicodemus being born again, remember? But it was only the beginning, because a new birth is only the beginning. The next thing that happens is incremental steps of growth. Paul, in his introductory remarks in the, to the letter of the church to the church at Philippi, said this. He said, I thank my God, and I love these verses. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, and here it is, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You know what that says to me? It says to me that God is committed to my growth. It says to me that God is committed to your growth as a believer. He is committed to building into you the fruit that comes from the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit who kind of bursts into our life when we decide to trust Christ and we humbly trust him to save us. But the fruit of the Spirit is love Joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, those are the things Paul says that Jesus Christ is determined to grow in you. He's determined to grow those things in you. But here's the one small hitch. 
We have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit if we want to see that sort of maturity in our lives. A sort of maturity that does not react every time contrary winds blow into our lives. And, and immediately say, when things like that happen, gee, you know what? I wonder if God's doing something here. Not, oh God, why are you doing this? But may, God's got to be doing something. If he promised the church of Philippi that he's going to work these things into me, there's something going on here. Maybe I just don't see it. When a gentle word and a gentle demeanor is needed to diffuse situations at work, when relationships would otherwise be damaged, maybe he's calling on you as he builds these things into you. Maturity that has people looking at you for forbearance, uh, for, for restraint in desperately needed situations. When everybody has a long face, there is a joy that you have because you live a life that is genuinely filled with real hope. Not gray skies are going to clear up, you know, put on a happy face. But that you actually know that God is in control. But for that to happen, our minds and our actions must be moving toward him. The greatest barrier to reflecting Christ is that often we have one foot firmly planted in the kingdom and folks, honestly, another one firmly planted in the world. And James' pronouncement on that person is that they are, his words, not my word, unstable. I mean, I read that and that's that's slightly offensive that Paul is calling me, uh, James is calling me unstable. What he means is that their judgments are unstable. These people who have one foot planted in, in the kingdom and in the world. Uh, their thought patterns are wobbly. He's not saying that they're crazy, although sometimes it may look like that, you know, to ourselves, no outsiders. What he meant was that often a good, strong wind will blow these people completely off course. Such a person, he said, is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Everything they do has kind of a mushy feel to it. You're never sure if they're going to react the same way. Certainly, we need to be dedicated. We need to be single-minded, no question about that. But folks, I have to tell you something. A lot of people are dedicated to a task. A lot of people that I know are dedicated to their work, to their studies, to their families, to a particular task. There are many people who I know personally, and I'm sure this is true of you also, who, who you would consider, who I consider, dedicated individuals who could care less what we're doing here this morning. They're not thinking about church. They're watching the news shows. They're at the Ritz Diner or Chit Chat now, you know, in West Orange. That's better. That's a high, higher class there. They're down there. They're reading the New York Times. They're doing what they do, yet they are dedicated people. They can be dedicated. They are dedicated. I've seen them close up. But God calls his people. He calls us to more than mere dedication. You know what he calls us to? He calls us to consecration. Now, that word consecration isn't a word that we use very often. In fact, I'll bet you haven't used it in a long time in regular conversation. In fact, I bet you there's a lot of people here who have never used the word consecration or consecrate in in, in regular vocabulary. Usually, um, when we hear that word, it has to do with some person being officially ordained, a preacher, a priest, a missionary. And often we see it when used of a person who we recognize as having been called to a special purpose for God. It's almost always uh, referring to a special category of people. But the Bible seems to indicate consecration 
as revealed in the New Testament, is something that every believer in Christ is called to. No special categories. It's not something only for knowledgeable Christians. It's not something just for spiritually mature ones. In fact, we cannot subjectively experience the life of Christ in us. We cannot grow spiritually mature without the necessary ingredient. And you know what it is? It's consecration. Consecrating ourselves to the Lord. This is because consecration is the basis for true, measurable growth in your spiritual life. So what is consecration? Consecration is our giving ourselves to the Lord, Paul said, as a living sacrifice. He wrote in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, because of God's mercy, because God saved you, because there was no way that you could reach up to God, but God reached down to you in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. God made a bridge for man and God to come together. Because of that merciful offer, we are, Paul says, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice, a living, breathing, walking, moving sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, in the Old Testament, a sacrifice was something that was set apart by God, you know, to be put on the altar. And in the very act of putting it on the altar, there was an acknowledgement on the part of the offerer that this thing no longer belonged to them. That would now belong to God. Firstborn males, priests, the temple, the nation of Israel, gifts were commanded by God to be consecrated unto him. Now they belong to God exclusively as an act of worship. Paul was saying that when we consecrate ourselves to the Lord... We become his living sacrifice. We give up our claims on ourselves and put ourselves completely in his hands. Previously, our life was for our use. Our life was for our satisfaction. Now it's for his. It is the very definition of a consecrated life. All my dreams, all my plans, all given over to him. Listen to what one person wrote. She wrote... When we present ourselves to the Lord as a living sacrifice, we're simply saying, Lord Jesus, I am you. I'm no longer for myself, no longer for the world or anything else. I am for your use and your satisfaction. Part of that giving of ourselves is to daily become aware of and then increasingly set ourselves apart from the sin that so easily besets us. We need to humbly occupy, as Liz just read, the sinner's place. The person consecrated to God will daily come to that place where they accept without excuse that they have fallen short, that they are a sinner. It is a humbling place, but it is a needed place that we all must occupy. Another part of giving ourselves has to do with being a grace receiver. We occupy the sinner's place, but there in the sinner's place, we receive grace. It is in the sinner's place that God meets our sin with his grace. And when God meets us with his grace, he makes our heart broken. He makes our heart contrite. He comes to dwell with us and in so doing sheds his love abroad in our hearts. And he deals with us lovingly 
and his grace works its way into our heart, and the oil of the Holy Spirit softens that hard heart, and it transforms us. See, that's the secret of transformation, to be a grace receiver. When we take the sinner's place and receive his grace, we're doing two things that every consecrated believer must do. Now we're ready. Now we are ready to be consecrated vessels to him. When we become living sacrifices, when we become consecrated vessels, what can we look for? What will happen? Well, the first thing that will happen is we'll begin to experience true, measurable inner growth. Because, you know, God's intention is for his divine life in us to grow. It's already there. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And he wants the Holy Spirit to have more of us. When we decide to consecrate ourselves fully to God, the Holy Spirit just kind of bubbles out. Whether or not we cooperate with the Spirit of Jesus makes a really big difference in our experience with Christ. When we keep ourselves in our own hands without consecrating ourselves to the Lord, we may not feel certain things are wrong. How many times? I had somebody say to me one time, you know what? Christian, no, no doubt in my mind, believer, and saying, you know what? I was at the cash register, and the guy gave me two bucks extra. And he's looking at me like I'm going to go, yeah, hey, good job. And I'm looking, and I'm going, man, that's, that's 101 stuff. Come on. That's 101 what, what is it that you don't get? What is it, it, it? Does God's spirit, you know, bring in anything to you? And a lot of times, you know what? We don't, we're not feeling it. We don't know when things are wrong. We're unable to tell whether or not something is of God. Our lack of consecrating ourselves to the Lord is like trying to use two operating systems on a single computer. It just ain't going to work. God knows those who desire to please him and those whose desires are still seriously compromised. Consecrated people sense what is pleasing to God and what is not. What is of God and what's miles away from him. This sensation comes from the functioning of God's divine life in us. Our consecration is what activates this life function that gives us the sense of God's life in us. We grow in the divine life in a very real and practical way. When we consecrate ourselves to God, when we put ourselves in the sinner's place and there receive his grace. In this respect, consecration is is like a gate. It's like a door. To enter into a building, we must go through a door. If we don't, no matter what wonderful things are there on the other side of the door, we can't enjoy. We can't participate in it. It's there, but we're on the outside. Consecration is the door for us to enter through to enjoy what the Bible describes as all the riches of God's salvation. The divine life he wants for us. Victory over Satan. The power of the resurrection operating in us. And when we give ourselves to the Lord, he will lead us in our experience and to the enjoyment of the rich blessings that he desires for us to experience. Way beyond our eternal salvation. Because our eternal salvation was just the beginning. It was only the beginning. We need to pray a prayer like this. Lord, I don't just want to know about the riches of your salvation. 
I want to experience them. I want to enjoy them. So, Lord, here I am. I give myself to you fully. I belong to you. Lead me by your spirit into the experience and the enjoyment of all that you have for me in your salvation. See, that's a good prayer. That's a prayer where we'll see and experience true, measurable growth. Something else that we'll have. We will begin to experience true, measurable use by God. Before you can go to work for God, he needs to get the work on you. I got news for you. It starts with you. Even though we're saved, we all have to admit that he still has much work to do in us to conform us to his thoughts and are his feelings and his decisions and his inner disposition to be like him. Our whole being needs to be like the sun, and he wants to start changing us. In a very real way, our consecration is our consent given to God to use us in our families in our schools, at our jobs, in the neighborhoods, in ways that we have never even dreamed about being used before. And in an almost magical way, when I begin my day and say, Lord, I give myself to you this day. Here is what I have planned, but use me as you will. I interrupt my plans if you must. I enter into the day with a heightened expectation that this day will matter. God will do it. He will use you in a way that you never dreamed Then I have given God permission to do his thing through me this day. I believe that a person can be a true believer, yet only have incremental growth as far as the life of the Spirit operating in them is concerned. There's growth. Hey, remember Philippians chapter 1? God will drag, push, do whatever he has to do. You will grow, but you may grow so small that sometimes you you can't even... See it yourselves. So if he's growing us, he's going to use us. God makes straight lines with crooked sticks all the time. All the time. But he wants to use us in major ways, not in minor ways. And God will wait until we give him the permission to work himself into us for his purpose. If you're saved, you've taken the initial step on a spiritual journey. Thank you, Lord, for that. Amen? Amen. But we've only just begun. The next step for us is to consecrate ourselves to the Lord. And when we do, we'll be kept in God's way. We will grow in his life. And we will really give God permission to work in us. And we will enjoy the riches of our salvation. So why this fast? Our 21-day fast is a tool that we are using here at the crossing for us to more fully consecrate ourselves to God and to his purposes for us. It is a tool, it is just a tool, to walk through the door to the life he desires us to have. As we bypass certain foods and, and, and practices that cause, well, they're going to cause us various levels of discomfort. I already knew it. I had about nine cups of coffee this morning. You know, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm hoping it's going to store up. I don't know. I, I don't think it is, but, but, you know, maybe. But, you know, tomorrow morning's coming. I know that. And, I'm, you know, I usually make my little journey from my office over, always have coffee here. And it's like, well, now what? You know, I'm not even sure what I'm going to do. I hope I don't fall on the floor and cry and, and do stuff. I hope not. But, but it's, I know it's, it's going to be uncomfortable. When we bypass these certain things, listen, what we have to do, folks, 
we need to keep our eyes on the purpose. Remember we talked about this last week? Remember what we said? We said that the spiritual discipline of fasting is done in order to draw near to God, see Him work in our lives and in the lives of others. Are there people that you're fasting for? Are there things that you need to see in the life of others? I'll bet you there is. And in your own life. Unless we keep this specific, high-minded, spiritual reason front and center, then our resolve will be short-lived, and the results will only be meager. And you know what? You're going to fail right out of the... After two days, you're going to fail. We must keep the purpose front and center. Our purpose in our fast is not going without, but getting more of Jesus. It's not giving up something, but getting something. Along with our fast... We want you each to receive something. As you go out today, those of you who are signing the contract and joining with us, our fit team is going to be outside and they're going to be handing you this. It's a little thing that we've, we, we've gotten, gotten together. And in, in this, you're going to see a few things. Number one, you're going to see a message from me. Probably not that useful, but you might want to skip past that one. And then a brief teaching that you're going to want to read on fasting from Scripture. And then three steps to consider as you begin your fast. Read it before you begin 6 o'clock tonight when our fast begins. 21 daily devotionals are also in here with scripture, reflection questions, a suggested prayer, along with space to journal your thoughts as your journey continues over the next three weeks. And I I would just, you know, I would just tell you, do it. Just, you know, do these 21 devotionals, write, get a pen, stick a pen. This is just about large enough to cram a pen right, you know, there in between the wire and write down your thoughts of what God's talking to you about and leave time for God to speak to you. Keep your mouth closed maybe for a little while, for two minutes in your prayer and just let God's spirit speak to you. Every single morning over these 21 days, for those of you who have signed the contract, you're going to receive an email with a thought for the day, and with a link so that you could see a special 60-second word of encouragement from me, a video word of encouragement. Now, it's going to be up by 10 o'clock every single morning. The latest will be up is is 10 o'clock each morning. Now, and I haven't done anything before. It's going to be like, maybe I'm going to, I think I may be really grouchy by Tuesday, and you're going to be looking at me going, why did I even tune into this guy? I mean, he's depressing me, if anything. You know, we have the coffee for it out a couple of days. But, but, it's gonna, we're gonna try, it's gonna try to be an encouraging word for everybody who looks into that, okay? And, and, and we're gonna, we're gonna do that, but you have to, and here's the thing, uh, you have to have a Facebook account, and I know for so, those of you who are giving up uh, social media, I am giving you a special dispensation right now to be able to go on your Facebook and to, you know, we're gonna have a link there on our constant contact that you'll be getting on the email, and it'll take you right to the, uh, to the uh, Facebook page where you'll see that video. Uh, even if you don't have Facebook and you have no intentions of getting Facebook over the next day or so, there will be a special word for you, you know, there in that, uh, that email. So, you, you, you know, look, look for that. It's also going to have something on there, a link to a site that's going to give you some help as you prepare special Daniel fast meals. As we begin our 21-day fast, pray this. Pray, Lord, I give you permission to work in me and through me this day. I consecrate myself willingly to you. Folks, if you just say that simple prayer, if you do, get ready. Because good things are going to happen.
For some of us, we have never truly said to God, I consecrate myself to you, Lord. I present myself to you fully this day. Whether we're newly saved or we've been saved for a while, every one of us can give ourselves to the Lord. Even if we've never heard of consecration, we can still present ourselves to the Lord right now. He is happy. He is willing to receive our consecration at any time. You know, in the book of Joel, God is telling Joel about judgment that's going to come to his people who have just, they have just screwed up in like every way that you can possibly imagine. They have, you know, idols and, 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 and sacrifice and, and sin and, and families that are destroyed and broken. And man, it goes on and on and on. And he says, you know what? The, the, the holy eyes of God can no longer look at that and judgment is coming. But he gives them hope. He always gives hope. And, and he said to them, you know, even now return to me with all your heart with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments Return to the Lord your God, because he is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders. Gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the, and the bride her chamber pray over them. Consecrate the people to the Lord. 